0: you remember last week, if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been working our way through this passage, taking our time, We're going to continue to take our time. I just think there's a lot here. And I, as I mentioned, even in praying, I, I think it's very relevant for the just the season that we find ourselves in, in history, uh, where the church is today, where our culture is today. Uh, I can see a lot of things here that uh, I think We need to be mindful of. Just remember, uh, just by way of uh, kind of setting again the context for us, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And we we call this, um, along with a couple of other epistles, the pastoral epistles. These were the Apostle's instructions to Timothy, who was really serving and functioning as a pastor. So how important it is, of course, for me. I take these these passages and I, I want to just drop them right into my heart. I say, Lord, this is this is your instruction to pastors, and I certainly want to be a pastor instructed in your Word, and I want to hear what you would say, God, to Timothy, and believing that you would say it to me, and I believe that, of course, that that has impact on our whole church. So uh, that's that's kind of where we find ourselves in this letter, and Paul. Verse chapter three and verse one, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, and he goes on to mention the type of attitude and and uh, things that you will see the peril in these perilous times, and he and all of it really kind of he says therefore men will be lovers of themselves, and then he goes on lovers of money, boasters, proud and so forth, and kind of works his way down through the list. And so much of it, I believe, dominoes really off that. Men will be lovers of themselves. Those that are lovers of themselves are often lovers of money. They're often boasters. They're often proud, and so forth. So really, it's that self-love that begins to creep into the heart of man. It's, it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's kind of, the, I think, we're seeing this in our own culture. And, it you know, there's such a focus on self. And even not only in our culture, but also even now, I think we see some of this creeping down um, into the life of the church. And that's what Paul is speaking to. This letter is written to Timothy in regards to what he needs to be doing in the church. So this is not um, something that's just observable out in the world, but something that we see even going on in churches. So uh, with that in mind, I'd like you to, we're going to skip down to verse 5. We've already covered that list. In the last couple of weeks and tonight, I think um, what I'd like to the the title of tonight's message and we'll kind of look through these verses. We'll see how far we go. But the title would be responding to perilous times. Okay, Paul, you've warned us that perilous times will come. You've told us of the types of things to look for in those times. Now, how do we respond? What is it that what's your instruction for us? And as we see his instruction for Timothy, I believe that we will find instruction for ourselves. The first thing that he does in verses 5 through 9 is he tells him a number of things to turn away from. Look there in verse 5, having a form of God during these times is there are going to be some people and some things that you're going to have to turn away from. You're not going to be able to embrace everyone and everything. Not every doctrine, not every uh, you know, so-called church, not every uh, idea that gets you know blown into the church is something that we need to be embracing. We need to be careful, and there are some things that we need to turn away from. And I think that he, he goes on to elaborate on the type of, of ministries and ministers that we need to be mindful of and, and turn away from. And that's what we'll find ourselves here now. As I want to read through verse 6 and 7, I think he defines a type of ministry. This is, would be a type of ministry that we need to be alerted to. For of this sort are those who creep into households, and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth he he gives us a, an idea of what these ministers these false ministers those that have a form of godliness but they deny the god's power they don't really bring life-changing power into the heart of the believers. He, he gives an idea of the, the types of ministry. This is what, this is what it would look like. They, they creep into the home. So there's something of stealth there. It's not up front, but rather it, it, it's, it, they creep into the house. Now, I know that in Paul's day, you know, of course, there was no television. There was no Internet. There was no access into the homes other than door to door. And, you know, even in the church today, even in our culture today, there are some that go door to door. And there are some pseudo-Christian, there are cultish groups that come door to door. And, uh, you know, uh, the Mormon church comes and offers, you know, they, you see those guys in bikes and ties and they're out going door to door. Jehovah's Witness often go door to door. Paul says that, you know, this is the a type, the types of ministry. They don't... They, they don't um, And, of course, there's nothing wrong with evangelism. There's nothing wrong with mission work. But this kind of looking to uh, creep into people's and get access to their their thoughts and and introduce them into these doctrines that are not orthodox and not the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul is going to, including later in the chapter here, encourage Timothy to walk in. And I think that today it's even more pronounced because I see the... You know, I just see cable television and um, some of the Internet access. There, we really have a lot of things that can just come right into our home. Ministries, whole ministry ideas, whole, um, you know, uh, televangelists. Tele-evan- These people can come right into your home. They're not endorsed by the church. They're not a part of your church. They have no accountability. They don't know you. They have no relationship with you. But boy, they can come right in and influence your household. They can come right in and begin to introduce strange doctrine. They can begin to introduce ideas that that are not even consistent with the Bible. And so we need to be discerning. We need to be mindful that not, every, not everybody that calls themselves a, a minister of the gospel, not everyone that says, oh, this is a christian program be careful and we're going to see the kinds of things that we need to be looking for but understand this is the type of ministry it's not going to come through uh, a traditional church relationship where there's you know a shepherd who loves and cares and knows of you and you have people that you know and there's this working of the body which i believe is god's fundamental you know idea for his kingdom a local church connected to a universal church And together we grow up as a body of Christ. Each one contributing, each one receiving something from its members. That's God's idea on his kingdom. The the family unit, right? That's God's idea for society. A husband and a wife and children. That's God's building blocks for society. When you begin to tear apart the family, when you begin to undermine the family, when you begin to redefine family, you begin to undermine the very foundation of a society. And so, in the same thing, in a church, when we the, the fundamental building blocks of God's kingdom is the church, and He raises up shepherds and He raises up pastors and teachers, and he, he He describes in His Word the the need for the body all being connected one to another. There's something that's healthy about our coming together. That God, not because you know, Pastor Richard, you know, wants a following but because God has orchestrated this as his fundamental way of advancing his kingdom. The Apostle Paul was sent out by a local church where he was pastoring there in Antioch. They sent him out. He went out and he planted churches and raised up men and gave them oversight in those churches. The Apostle Peter talks to those elders and said, shepherd the flock of God among you. This is God's program, the church shepherds that love and care and tend for the sheep called of god not called themselves not hirelings but people who really love the people and want to teach the people and be faithful in teaching and growing and maturing the body and the body connecting one to another each one contributing and bringing something to the life of the body this is god's primary uh, idea on how his kingdom advances and when you have ministries or ministers that come in and want to have influence in your life spiritually without that accountability and out that connection it's something to be careful of it's something to be be now there are some ministries out there that i think are wonderful supplements and wonderful things that you can partake of i myself partake of a lot of those i get on the web and i i listen to a lot of different pastors even in my own preparation i like to listen to pastor chuck i listen to pastor brian a couple of other calvary pastors that i really enjoy listening to i want to hear what they have to say about various passages that i'm going to be ministering on you know there's a number of radio programs that i think are very very good and you hear good solid bible teaching all of that is healthy and i'm not opposed to any of that but some of these ministries are dangerous and some of these ministries are not healthy and they're not teaching the bible they're teaching strange doctrine or they're teaching out of balance doctrine, and we need to be careful of it. Paul is saying this is the type of ministry that you need to be mindful of. They creep in; it's a st- they don't come through the, the regular church door program that God, but rather they stealthily come into your home. Now he says that they, they lead away gullible women. Now, ladies, I didn't say that Paul did. I don't think he's. I don't think. I think he's describing a, the type of ministry. And I think he's saying that, that women might be more vulnerable to this and gullible to this. Remember, of course, in the culture that, that Paul wrote, women would, would be at home more often and would have opportunity to be exposed to this type of ministry. But also remember that Eve is the one that was deceived in the garden. Uh, not, not Adam, although Adam fell. He fell knowingly. But Eve was deceived. Eve was... She found herself vulnerable. She found herself kind of deceived by the smooth-talking serpent. And I think in general that men and women are different. We, I think we all know that, not just physically, but the way we respond emotionally. I think women tend to be a little more sensitive and they tend to be a little more, um, I think, keyed in to the emotional aspect of our lives. And I think that might be part of what makes them vulnerable because, you know, some teachers can be very persuasive some teachers can be very appealing, and, and and women are sensitive to that. They feel that, they sense that, and they can be drawn to that. Not to say that men can't be gullible; <laughs> men can be very gullible, and we can do all kinds of we do. We have other problems, but um, Paul highlights this and says, "Women especially, be careful! Don't don't use that that natural sensitivity that you have to be uh, deceived into, um, you know, false teachers." And he says that they have, um, you know, some of these women may be loaded down with sins. There may be guilt. Uh, oftentimes, if you don't understand the grace of God and you're, you're burdened down with guilt, that can make you vulnerable. be led away by various lusts. It may be just a desire for attention, a desire for somebody to make you feel good and you're, you're vulnerable to different doctrines. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. One thing I've noticed about some of the ministries that I, that I really don't approve of is that there is this ever-insatiable need to get their latest series. Life-changing series. You have to have this tape series that we're offering this week. It's life-changing. You can't live without it. You know, you couldn't live with the offer they li- they had last week, and you can't live with the offer they have this without this one this week. And always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And you all, you know, they're just—it's always you need the next tape. Oh, life-changing series, life-changing book. Oh, life-changing—you have to. Oh, God will bless you with this series of tapes. And it's not to say that every all those offers are bad or wrong, but you know, at, at some point, we have to become. You know, the Word of God has to become sufficient for us. The simple teaching of God's Word has to become our our daily bread. And, and And you don't have the need for this life-changing series that you just can't live without. Well, I have a Bible. You mean I've got to get this life-changing series? Oh, yes, you must have it. And always learning. But never coming to the knowledge of the truth, and it develops and i 've just seen this over the years the type of following that these types of ministries often recruit in are are people that are just you know almost um, insatiable for their teaching, and they get their tapes and they listen to them over and over and over again, and they they just you know it becomes this constant needing to hear this again, and whatever it is they're oftentimes they 're appealing to the to the self-interest and to, you know, kind of getting you charged up and feeling good about yourself again. And you just have to have it again and again. And you listen to these tapes. And you need the next tape. And they just become so enthralled with these teachers. That type of devotion to me is something that just appears unhealthy. And it's not consistent with what I see God calling us to in his word. Timothy, and we'll see this later, Preach the word. Teach the Word in and out of season. Read the Word. Become students of the Word. Study God's Word. Read your Bibles. And, you know, now if you want a teaching and you want to hear it again and you want to hear some different points or aspects, you know, I think that's good and healthy. But when it becomes this kind of, um, I don't know what to say, just almost like a cultish following where it's just, you know, I have to have that teaching and I have to, you know, and, and just... And they flock to these types of teachers. I think that Paul is describing this type of a ministry here. Women, He says women, but I think anybody is gullible and they get get locked in on this, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, never really free, never really come to the place where I don't have to have that life-changing message. My life is stable. God's growing. God's maturing. I'm walking complete in Christ. Always learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Now, he begins to talk now about the type of minister. That's kind of an idea, the type of ministry. Now, the type of minister. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. Paul talks about Janus and Jambres resisting Moses. We don't know for sure who these two guys are. We don't don't see them appear anywhere else. Their names do not appear anywhere else in the Bible. Somehow, Timothy knew who they were, so there may have been some uh, traditional Jewish teachings that that had the account of these two men and their relationship to Moses. But we have to kind of speculate a little bit. We... uh, we think that possibly, and this is through church history, that they were the the magicians who resisted Moses before Pharaoh. If you remember when Moses went in and said, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And he said, why should I? And then Moses began to perform signs in front of Pharaoh to show that he really was from the Lord. And then Pharaoh had these magicians that would come in and kind of duplicate those uh, those miracles. Remember, uh, Moses threw his staff on the ground and became a serpent. And then the magicians came in, they threw their staffs on the ground, and they became serpents. Of course, Moses' staff, Moses' serpent, swallowed up their two serpents. But still, these guys were magicians, and through sorcery, through trickery, they were able to kind of emulate and duplicate some of what Moses' miracles were before Pharaoh. And in that sense, they resisted Moses. They kept turning Pharaoh's heart away from the truth that Moses was bringing from God, so we could say we could say that you know in some sense there are ministers today who are pretenders, and they can they, they look Christian, they sound Christian, they, they they duplicate a lot of Christian, they kind of couch themselves in Christian um, setting, but they again they have a form of godliness, but they they're not they deny His power. I'll quote you from Warren Wearsby. He says this, Satan is an imitator. What God does, Satan counterfeits. The religious leaders in the last days will have a counterfeit faith, and their purpose is to promote a lie and resist the truth of God's word. They deny the authority of the Bible, and they substitute human wisdom and philosophy. In their attempt to be modern, they deny the reality of sin and people's need, for salvation, we see that today, and we see that coming into the life of the church. Okay, checking the time. Weirsby points that out. There's this is this, this mindset is creeping into the culture of the church. You know, we're not. This is the this is how the, the the logic goes. We're not making a big enough impact in the world as a church. You know, and we need to start because we're not, you know, we're not offering them anything that they really want So we need to think about ways that we can Kind of be a little more modern in the way we do church And let's try to be a little more appealing to the culture that we live in So that we can somehow get more people into the building and you know, hopefully lead them to A walk of faith in christ And You know, that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty logical, but We have to be very careful, and and I want more people to come to Christ, and I want us to do whatever we can, you know, to reach out and touch people's lives with the truth. But we also need to be careful, and this is what Warren Wiersbe is pointing out, in the attempt to be modern, we compromise truth and, and become more of an offering for what we think people will respond to. And so certain passages of Scripture are avoided, certain topics within the Scripture are avoided, there's not this kind of this strong confrontation of sin and a need for a savior Uh, this whole idea of all the blood of jesus that was offered on the cross becomes kind of an unattractive topic and so uh, the message just kind of gets altered not necessarily you know that what's being said is not true but it just may not be the whole truth and so this creeps into the life of the church and we do see this going on today there are a couple of movements, and they've kind of morphed into one another to some extent. I'll give you just um, a couple of them that I'm aware of. And some have gone to further degrees than others in terms of their efforts to be modern and culturally relevant. What started, and it started years back, um, started known as the church growth movement, and that was the idea. These concepts were developed, marketing concepts were brought into the church. There's consultants. There's a whole, whole science of how to grow church, but it's really it's man's science. It's you know how to position yourself uh, demographically and who's your target audience and all a lot of you know kind of marketing philosophy brought into the life of the church. And part of that is changing the message, lightening up the message, shorter messages, a little more drama. Use media. Do you know skits? Do things that will kind of draw people in our culture in and make them feel a little more interested in church. And again, some of that I I I think is harmless, but I think that to some degree it can become compromising if we're not careful. And we're going to find this out later, what Paul's remedy is for this. Timothy, preach the word. Teach God's word. The, The fundamental teaching of God's word is always going to be Uh, what we do here because i just don't have any confidence in anything else but his word but these types of things so this church growth movement and you know they're christian i think uh, if you look at their statement of beliefs they're orthodox they believe the right things they genuinely are endeavoring to do the right i just don't agree in the philosophy of ministry so we don't practice that here but i think that you know, Some people have compromised in the sense that they just don't present the whole message. And there's no power to change. And that's what Paul said. They'll have a form of godliness. They call it church. But listen, you can't change. The power to change is in the, is in the power of the cross. It's in the power of the blood of Jesus for, you know, offering forgiveness of sin. A life cannot be changed unless it's confronted with the reality, you must change. You're lost in your sin. You're destined for hell. You're not living in fellowship with God. That is a very offensive message today. And not only that, there's only one way that you can be saved. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And he had to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. This is a very narrow message. It's a very offensive message to the person who thinks he's pretty good. And this is what we have in the culture today. If you took a survey out in the community today... Just randomly walked up to people. Hey, do you think you're going to hell? No. I don't, I'm a pretty good person. I don't steal. I haven't, you know, I, you know, I, I know some people that are going to hell, but I, I don't think I'm going to hell. I mean, I believe in God. I, you know, I'm pretty good, right? And that's, what is that? That's a mindset that my works are pretty good. I'm, I'm going to be accepted before God. After all, I know what really bad people do, and I don't do those things. My works will save me. My good, pretty goodness will, surely God will see that and accept me for that. Is that the truth? No. So that person has to be kind of jolted out of that mindset. No, you're not pretty good. You are lost and depraved in sin. You are an enemy of God. God has an issue with you. You may be pretty good relative to others, but you are a sinner before God. And I have the only news that can save you is Jesus Christ. And it's going to take a total conversion and a total transformation of your life. You're not going to be able to just keep going along being pretty good. You're going to have to come to the cross and say, God, I'm a sinner. I realize that my pretty goodness is worthless before you. Okay, that's very confrontational in today's society. But this is what I think is being compromised in the church. We're 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 starting to let people feel good about being pretty good. And after all, you're we're filling, you know, there a little bit of the gospel will is trickling out and people are coming to church. Isn't that better than them not coming to church? Well, yes, it's better than them not coming to church, but I'll tell you what's even worse is if they come to church and there's no power to be saved. That's worse. If the light, Jesus said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? If the gospel that we preach loses the power to confront and conform lives to Christ then it's a gospel that has lost its power. A form of godliness, but denying its power. These things are happening. Church, I, I, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir tonight. You're all here on Wednesday night working through a verse-by-verse Bible study. But I want you to know the, this, this is not some small movement. It's not some little thing out in the corners. This is a, this is a full-on cultural thing that's going on in the life of the church. Church and particularly in the life of the church in our country. Another kind of um, something that's spun off of that is something called the Emergent Church. And this is a new movement, and I, I'm not an expert on it. I did print out some things to share with you. But this is the, one of the more recent kind of uh, efforts to be modern, efforts to be appealing to our culture and to our generation. There was a Calvary Chapel, a very large Calvary Chapel that was recently removed from the fellowship of Calvary chapels because they became emergent. They, became, they got into this whole idea of the emergent church. Let me tell you a little bit about the emergent church. One of the things about the emergent church, it's hard to define because it's emerging, it's changing, and that's part of their their whole culture is we, we we don't think they're we don't want to be dogmatic or about any absolutes because we live in a postmodern generation we need a church that's postmodern and postmodern is one of the tenets of postmodernism is there are no absolutes we can't really know for sure what the Bible says nobody can be a hundred percent sure what it says. You can't be dogmatic about doctrine because everybody well all we can do is agree on the truths that work in our community. And they call it a conversation. They have all they have their own language, they have their own terms to define themselves and it's it's kind of it's really hazy. Hard to hard to get a real good definition on what is the emergent church because it's a conversation. We're we're still figuring ourselves out and we're we're open and to new ideas and and we're, we're trying to be more, uh, you know, um, embracing of others that might have different ideas. Here's some of the definition that I did, was able to find. The Emerging Church is a controversial 21st century Protestant Christian movement whose participants seek to engage postmodern people, especially the unchurched and the post-churched. To accomplish this, emerging Christians, also known as emergents, deconstruct and reconstruct Christian beliefs, standards, and methods to accommodate postmodern culture. We're going to deconstruct and we're going to reconstruct Christian beliefs, standards, and methods. Why? So that we can accommodate postmodern culture. This is the heart of it we need to change the way we do church so that we can be more relevant to the culture the culture is going to determine church not the word of god not the doctrine not you know not this dogmatic beliefs that we have that's just too too exclusive and we need to be more inclusive and they go on to embrace other religions they go on to uh, embrace other ideas Give you just a couple more thoughts. Postmodern is funda- epistemology, post- postmodern theory is fundamental to uh, emerging church movement beliefs, and emergents have labored to construct a post foundational theology which rejects certainty in favor of a view they describe as more humble, in which emergents see their voice as just one among many legitimate non-dogmatic religious voices that engage in peer-to-peer dialogue or conversation. Emergence believe it is necessary to deconstruct and reconstruct, redefine and reshape Christianity Christianity in order to engage post-Christian Western culture in this two-way conversation rather than proclaim a message that is alien to and unpopular with that culture. Narrative... Explorations of faith scripture and history are emphasized rather than doctrinal approaches such as systematic theology systematic exegesis that means you know breaking down the scripture. These are often viewed as reductionist they reduce the the church systematic study is seen as a relic of modernism born out of the view that cross-cultural absolutes could be found. There you have it. Systematic study. That's what we do. We do a systematic study of the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed. On Wednesday nights, we're working our way through Timothy, verse by verse. On Sunday mornings, we're working our way through Romans, verse by verse. A systematic study of His Word, trying to glean out the doctrine and the truths. We believe the Bible has, is good for absolutes. We believe that it is cross-cultural, that the truths, that principles of truth that we can find here are relevant not only in our culture, but in every culture Not only in our generation But in every generation There are fundamental truths God's truth That crosses culture, generation Emergent church says Oh, that's just so That's, that's, a, that's so old-fashioned And so we would, you know Tonight, what we're doing here tonight would be would, Is relic It's not trendy at all Not sophisticated at all just want you to know where you stand and some of the emergent minds so i'm 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 coming against that tonight and i i know that again i'm speaking to some some of you who may never be exposed to it but i'm telling you it's out there i've got a couple of daughters going to christian universities and these things are out there and these and there are people that are getting exposed to this even traditional and this and it's going to be i'm telling you i think it's going to be a wave it's going to be so popular you know why because it does away with those offensive absolutes and it's going to be so politically correct because you know everybody has a point of view we shouldn't be exclusive don't you can't get locked down on absolutes you can't say for sure that homosexuality is wrong okay we need to be more understanding and we need to see uh, you know that that, that some of them are so well-rounded and such good you know could could easily provide good homes for adoption and You know, it's becoming very popular in our culture. But the Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination to God. Well, you know, we can't really be sure what the Bible means when we read that. Sure we can. We know exactly what it means. Okay, I'm giving you an idea, a flavor of what's going on in our culture today, what's out there. There's other things that we could talk about tonight. That's probably one of the most dangerous ones, and I want to mention it. Young people are attracted to this because again it's it 's very trendy it 's very cutting edge it has that really kind of new cool uh sophisticated intellectual appeal and they 've you know like i said just just studying their some of their doctrine is like gosh i don 't even know what some of the words mean you know we don 't we have a peer to peer dialogue we call it a conversation. Yeah, but how does that relate to studying the Bible? I'm not sure what they're saying. But, well, you know, I'm starting to get an understanding. And I'm telling you tonight, it's out there. And it's something that we need to be aware of. And something that, you know, we need to stand against. Turn for, turn away. Back to uh, 2 Timothy. We're talking about things that we need to turn away from. And ministers and ministries from which we need to turn away. And it creeps in. And it leads away the gullible. Pretenders. They become corrupt minds. They become disapproved. That word means tested and found to be counterfeit. 1 Timothy 3.10, But let these first also be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. God's word instructs us to test and to, to measure these things. God's word says, Don't lay hands on anyone hastily. The whole idea of, you know, be careful. Don't embrace a ministry, I would say to you tonight, not not hastily. The church needs to be discerning. Paul says their folly will ultimately manifest over time. And that's how you see some of these things. Over time, these men and their doctrine eventually are revealed. And we've seen different doctrines blow through the church over the years. And these are some of the most recent ones. We've talked about some of the others. And again, some are, some are, in my opinion, um, out of balance, but still orthodox Christian. Some have, have gone so far in their desire to be relevant that they've, comp- that they've left Christian doctrine. The emergent church, I think, is there. They embrace, I didn't give you all of it, but they embrace other faiths. They don't think that Jesus Christ is necessarily the only way to God. They believe, you know, they're they're deconstructing and reconstructing Christianity according to their own desires, according to what makes sense to their culture and their minds. And I'll tell you, I just I don't want anything like that. I do not want to be involved in something that is man-made. I need to know the truth. God, if if you're not if you haven't left me something where i can know you and know your mind and find you in truth then i am lost if all i've got is my conversation and what men and what we can agree on as men to to fault, lord i that's i don't want that i need something divine i need something from heaven i i know the way men work and i know the the end of men's plans and ways I need, I need God, and I need something solid. I need the Word of God, the rock, a foundation, something I can build my life on that's outside of me and my own thinking, something that's absolute. And this is what postmodernism rejects. There are no absolutes. That's just too narrow. That's too dogmatic. That's too unpopular. The Word of God is our absolute, and we need to be mindful of it. I'm going to close here tonight. And I know that this is, um, oh, you know, this is kind of, oh, I don't know. Well, it's it's as practical as we can get tonight. I I know there are other things that you may have on your mind and your heart. These are the churches that some of your friends are going to be attending, and these are the things that you're going to be exposed to. And uh, it's already creeping in, even to conservative Christian circles. So, with that in mind, let me close this in prayer, and we'll end tonight's study. And Lord, in Your Word, we find we find this warning, and we find this clear instruction out of Scripture from the Apostle Paul to Timothy the Past, as of being lovers of themselves would begin to modify and alter even. The gospel that can save and although they hold a form of godliness, they deny the power. And they don't bring the, the life-changing power of the message. And so, Lord, I pray that you will give us a discernment tonight. And I pray, God, that I don't know, Lord, I don't know where this will find application. My guess is you know. My guess is that it won't be long before all of us get some taste of this, some exposure to this, someone that we know. A friend, a relative, somebody will begin to talk about this new kind of movement and a new wave blowing into the church, Lord. And we've seen these things come and go over the years. And so we need to be discerning, Lord. And we're going to continue on in this study, Lord, in the next weeks to follow. And you're going to continue to instruct us. But from these things, you've instructed us to turn away. From such men, from such ministries, turn away. Oh, they may have some good things. Oh, they're not all bad. Lord, a little leaven leavens the whole lump from such things we need to turn away. We need our hearts to be grounded in the word. We need our hearts to be grounded in the, in the foundational truth that crosses all generations, that crosses all cultures. The principles are true and that because they're from you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the, the counsel of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the warning of your word. And we pray that we would take it to heart tonight, Lord, and that we would be maturing and discerning believers. In Jesus' name we pray.